Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio this fine day in September 23. I'm taking my constitutional. It's a wonderfully sunny day. Very warm actually for the time of year. Very quiet up here in the hills, nobody about. Today, I would like to entertain a suspicion. And whilst that suspicion relates to the UK political social, economic situation, cultural situation. It's also applies to the the world in general. Now, you might think I'm getting conspiratorial in my old age, and I will firmly deny it. As I've said before, it seems to me people conspire all the time. In other words, they make plans in secret to bring about uh, certain courses of events. That happens in families, in corporations, in military regiments, in governments, of course, in finance and so on. It's a part of human life that we are able to plan within groups and to keep things secret or to reveal things. It's part of our condition. And that's all a conspiracy is. Now I maintain that most conspiracies uh, of any scale and uh, complexity tend to fail. They don't always. Occasionally people bring off some spectacular results in this method, but mostly they fail. And history is not the result of endless conspiracies of Illuminati and lizard people. Or even high capitalists, but is the result of cock-ups, mistakes, accidents, the occasional success in some kind of plan or conspiracy, or some development. But you will have noticed that pretty well every development goes off sidewards. The things that are full of promise, often they do, they deliver on promises or even beyond what's promised, say a technological invention or a new institutional uh, settlement. But they nearly always have uh, some side effects as well, some externalities, some unknown unknowns, which manifest as a project moves apace. And I've got to take that that sort of view. I certainly don't think that some of the incredibly elaborate conspiracies dreamed up by people, as though like global capital wasn't in a state of internal warfare, but was this monolithic arm with superb planning skills and actualisation skills that's able to coordinate governments, corporations, militaries and so forth. If you actually look what these people do, for the most part they couldn't organise a piece up in a brewery, and that's certainly true of our uh, wonderful British Conservative government. So, I entertain a suspicion about something that's going on at the moment. After all, my uh, philosophical thing is, I suppose, the hermeneutics of suspicion. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a fan of those philosophers who manage to uncover the ways in which we're not what we think we are. We're not as central as we think we are. The dethroning of humanity. Yeah. Copernicus, Darwin, Nietzsche, Marx... Freud. These are all people telling us that 
we're not as in control as we think we are and in various aspects of our lived reality they uh, concentrate their efforts on elucidating what this uh, ignorance on our part is well, in the case of Copernicus you know he goes to great pains to show that the sun's at the centre of the solar system and not the earth which makes the earth a bit less of an exalted planet rather than God's central jewel it's it's one of a bunch of siblings and a small one revolving around a magnificent star so this is the way it works you know it's a kind of a dethroning of humanity from the centre and in the case of Darwin this he, he told us that, well, we're just one species amongst many. And no doubt we will pass and maybe we'll give, be the, proge- the progenitors of others. But either way, we're not this kind of glory at the centre of God's creation. Created in... in, in, in in, in, in one single act of fiat by uh, Jehovah but the result of billions and billions of years, years of evolution and our planet itself the results of even more billions and billions of years of coming to the uh, condition over time in which it could support life and life of our type which I suppose we might congratulate ourselves and call ourselves conscious life even though Freud <laughs> liked to rub our nose in that conceit uh, as well by saying well you're not the master in your own house you've got this mischievous infantilid sitting underneath it all and in, intervening in a, in a kind of a uh, sometimes catastrophic way despite what our conscious will might be asserting so it's that kind of suspicion which I suppose is a kind of a mistrust of official uh, narrative stories accounts of the way things are going and what obtains in the world and what people are like what human nature is if there is such a thing and so on And the suspicion I'm entertaining is that the uh, the nudge unit in Whitehall, which is the the place where some kind of low life s- sit around figuring out how they need to nudge public opinion in certain directions, uh, so as to smooth the passage of, of of things that the government want wants to do that's going to impact negatively on people. Well, all positively for that matter, but there is a thing called the nudge unit, and that is their job, it's to form public opinion. Uh, these are disciples of Bernays, <laughs> whether they know it or not. <laughs> it's a propaganda unit, we should call it. And I'm suspecting that they're telling our government, which is a, which is a basket case as a government, facing a general election before too long, 20 points behind in the polls, utterly fragmented, it's internally conflicted between its different wings, fighting a, a, 
a maelstrom of, of disasters. Schools falling down, hospitals falling down. Insufficient nurses and doctors to run, run a reasonable health service. Strikes. Strikes at all, all levels of the economy, including some big prominent ones. Railway. Teachers have been on strike, university lecturers. And... Uh, uh, even barristers, you know, criminal barristers and so forth. Of course, one of the other things is that the courts are completely clogged up. As, 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 as the government has tried to actualise a neoliberal state, you know, like this minimal, minimal state and, and everything private, the, of course that has just ushered in basically an, an economic slow but definite economic collapse with attendant cultural uh, spasms as you'd, as you'd expect as people are thrown into precarity and so forth. All of these stresses uh, can make people behave in kind of a testy and perhaps even violent kind of a way. So I'm suggesting that, that what, what's going on here is that the, the government in desperation espouse the idea that a culture war is the way they might get through this and, and, and squeeze a, a narrow majority in the next parliament. Because uh, Labour's not without criticism as the main opposition party, and from what I make it. Anybody left of, I don't know, um, Neil Kinnock or somebody, you know, he, 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 he's pretty disgruntled with him and believes that he's a lawyer and a shallow person and, and, and basically a, a Tory capitalist shill, especially as he's, he's kind of taking money from oil interests and, and so forth. He's basically the top leg of a brass are being bankrolled by big oil, big, big war and gambling. So, fuck them as well, you know. So, the nudge unit saying to them, well, you know, if you can get the culture war going, which of course there is, and, you know, the, the, the far right flank, which is uh, really like a cover outfit for, for our Tories, so they can kind of... Uh, entertain horribly right-wing policies which are put forward first by the extreme right, normalised by them first. Outliers, this is the job of people like Farage and so forth, to act as outliers and bring into the agenda uh, previously unacceptable ideas. So, culture war is something that they're very interested in. But I think that this, we, we've seen this unfolding. There's a, there's a definite attempt to make something happen through that means, I would say. And, you know, acting suspiciously and trying to figure out, well, what obtains behind the scenes for this to be like this? Transcendental deduction. <laughs> and something like that is definitely going on. And But th th there's a, a, a twist that's taken place, I think, uh, recently. And you will no doubt have heard that a by-election in, in London was should have been a Labour a win, according to Labour. And, uh, uh, I mean, it, well, it wasn't, you know. So and this was taken as a sign that, uh, that, you, that the ULES directive 
which has been extended to the whole of London. In other words, a directive that says that, that very polluting vehicles have to pay a daily charge if they want to use the roads in London. To my mind, this is a good policy that encourages the, the, the scrapping of very dirty vehicles and the purchase of, of cleaner vehicles and the use of public transport. It actually affects very, very few people. Few, a very small percentage of people in London. And most people have either got used public transport or they have vehicles which comply, you know, those fairly new vehicles which comply with the, uh, the emission standards. But nevertheless, there's, there's, there's been, it seems like the Tories have seized on something here, you know, and it, it, it is the realisation that it should be fairly easy to mobilise a, a, a popular political anti-green anti-net zero anti-renewable uh, energy agenda and of course just, just stop oil is, of course is also uh, used by, by the right I mean just stop oil basically what they've done is, is created a, a polarisation which I think in the long run we'll probably uh, sometime in the future look back and say oh yeah that was a good thing that had to happen <laughs> strange as it might seem to wish for polarisation and it seems to me that our Tory government also thinks that, that it's worth causing polarisation over uh, ecological issues and because they think that they might be able to win this one. Of course, they've got the press on their side, you know, the good to press, which has been resolutely anti-net uh, anti zero and so forth, and, and green energy and so on, and heights windmills, and vegetarians should be tortured and, and publicly hung and so forth, these kind of things. It's already been possible to, to mobilise some kind of a culture war around these issues, but I think now it's focusing in on climate. And I'm willing to place a bet here, you know, that in a year's time, you'll, if you were to listen to this, you'd go, oh yeah. Because I think what's going to happen in COP24, which is being held in, I think it's the UAE, you know, which is like a, a despotic, fascist petro-state in the, in the, in the, the Middle East. And, and then it's been financed by, guess who, the fossil fuel industry, the fossil fuel companies. And guess who's sending the most representatives, the fossil fuel companies. Now these guys keep claiming that they are actually like, that. we need them because they're going to develop the alternative energy. But the amount of energy coming from big oil, from renewables, is about 0.1% of, of their total output. They're still pumping out oil, burning oil. CO2 emissions actually still fucking on the rise. And seeking licenses from governments and being granted licenses by governments in return for donations to drill more oil and more gas and burn more oil or gas. And they try and make the excuse, oh, well, we need it for the transition. But I'll put it to you, you know, this, the, the, the argument for leaving it in the ground is that if it's in the ground, it cannot be burned. It can only be burned if it's pumped out. And if it's pumped out, it will be burned. So that's the point of keeping it in the ground. 
So they've pretty well got, a, got, got us captive, but they want to bring the public along with, with carrying on as usual. And, and you know, we, we'll, we'll improvise as things get worse. And, of course, you know what that means. It means that the best conditions, the best remaining conditions on Earth will be reserved for those who can afford it. To have a nice life in a nice environment will be a privilege afforded to the extremely wealthy. And the rest of us will just be uh, worker bees and we'll, we'll be sacrificed to the well-being of the, the elite. So this is the attempt, and I think it's, it, 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 they, it's desperate on their part. I think they stand a very, very good chance of losing it. If there's a little bit more, a little bit more coming together and a bit less fragmentation on, on, on the broad eco-left, you know, that fragmentation can be pulled in a little bit. I think the, this desperate Tory ploy, and it's a right-wing ploy over the planet, of creating a culture war around... Uh, ecological agendas. I think it's likely to cock up, given that <laughs> most conspiracies do, and this this is a desperate one. Well, I hope you find that in interesting, and we'll we'll see, eh? We'll see how it pans out. Uh, well, I meant to mention earlier on there that you know, big oil, meanwhile, has taken trillions in profits over the last decades, you know, trillions in profits and trillions in donations from governments to this day, big oil is subsidised by, by our money, our wealth to an enormous extent that really just like if you put a figure on it it's trillions of dollars so that's happening Sorry about the abrupt end uh, I'm back home now so I'll just say to you, make knowledge great again and look after your souls and please uh, sign up to come to my Zoom talks in October. And now the delightful Anna will introduce the trailer to the said talks. Over and out. We have finally come up with uh, a theme and dates for the live talks that we've been promising you for such a long time now. So Pete's going to be delivering these talks and we're going to be doing it on Sunday afternoons because we feel that that would be a nice quiet time for people to be able to take some time out of the week and engage with the, the topics. So I'm just going to give you the dates. We're going to start on Sunday the 15th of October from 1 till 3 o'clock, that's our time in Britain. And then the 22nd of October, the 29th, then the 5th of November, and then the last one, the 12th of November. It's going to be just a general discussion, questions and answers, just to ramble around and the, the ideas presented in the talks. And you can ask Pete the questions that you, the burning questions, which I'm sure you'll have. So the four talks are all going to be interlocking and interrelated. So we've decided that we're going to present them as a course and charge 20 quid for the, the full four, but each one will stand alone. So if you do miss one, uh, 
don't let that put you off coming to the rest or even the you know, the, the the live discussion one which is the the fifth the fifth one at the end so the theme of this course is going to be the apocalypse and you so a bit of a humorous title for a serious topic but many things to say about it we hope that everything that's going to be presented in these talks will be of, of great help to you and interest to you on a very personal level but also in a way which will be useful in how you interact with the world so self and world we wanted it to be quite as complete as possible so we put a lot of thought into this so I'm going to pass you over to Dr Yates and he's going to give you an overview of the whole course and then break down week by week what it is that we're going to do I'm greatly looking forward to doing this with you. Yeah, it's going to be nice to interact with people, isn't it? Yeah. Finally. Yeah. This series of live talks is designed to help you to navigate the apocalyptic tenor of our contemporary world. Or as we say on the street, the way in which everything's going to shit. Rather than presenting a dogmatic or doctrinaire conclusion about what is actually going on, or offering you a self-help panacea for, for your psychological ills. We hope instead to identify and ask the relevant questions. This is the starting point of any inquiry. Find the right question. And from there, we'll move on to suggesting how you yourself might fruitfully engage with those questions. The first talk is entitled The Apocalypse and You, which is also the title of the entire course. And that's where we outline the problem. Uh, the problem has many sub-problems, many aspects, uh, amongst which uh, we'll be considering uh, the question, why are we even talking this way? Is there indeed a looming apocalypse or, or are we the prey to fear-mongering? We also ask the question of what responses do we actually find in the world, in our universe of discourse, to the the ideas that are being put out, that, that there are certain sort of doom-laden doom -laden scenarios unfolding, ecological collapse and so forth. So what are we being told about that itself by the various media? From there, it's, it becomes necessary to ask how such ideas are circulated. How do they get to us? What's going on? Who pays? What's the money set up? What's, what, what, what ideologically is at stake in, in the various games of trying to attract our attention? So how are such ideas circulated? And then also, we'll have, of, of necessity, we then have to engage with this other question of how one discerns which stories, if any, are trustworthy or untrustworthy? How do we decide where the trustworthiness of what we're told of a story? And that's a, that is a biggie in this day and age. So that that that's the first. That's what the first talk will cover. All all of those, and then in, in talk two, we examine the subjective aspects of all this so-called subjective. In, in other words, we examine the lived experience of people, of individual people in this situation that we're outlining. And we'll be concentrating there on the so-called negative emotions of anger, fear, hatred, and so on, 
and on the condition of ignorance. At this point we introduce the idea of a positive trauma, uh, which is something very intense that happens to you that changes you, but changes you in a good way, as opposed to giving you PTSD or whatever. And uh, we suggest that, the, that these very intense experiences, positively traumatising experiences, uh, have, a, have a very core role in intense spiritual experience. That's the, that's the second talk. The third talk, we just simply ask Socrates his root question, how is life to be lived? And we examine Socrates' contention that an unexamined life is not worth living. The fourth and final talk, we introduce the yoga discipline of letting be with bright awareness. And we relate that discipline to the questions we've engaged with in the previous talks. In other words, from the perspective of... of uh, the discipline and the results of the discipline. How do the questions we've been asking look? What do they look like? How do we entertain them? How do they, how do they register with us, given that we might be entertaining a yogic state of being through this discipline? And then there is, as Anna mentioned, a final session where we'll, we'll engage in general discussion, Q and A, and so forth. There, there is going to be a, uh, the last half hour of every uh, yeah. talk. There's going to be like a Q and A session. Yes, then yeah. too. Yeah, there'll so. be a Q and A for each of the four talks, but the, the fifth session will be a much a much more open general general discussion, but obviously with a Q and A element. So that's that's what's going to happen. If you want to express an interest now, that would be great, and we, we would welcome it. And your best bet is to email me at my email address which you can find on the podbean heart yoga page which is peteyates.podbean.com uh, you can find the, my email address there uh, but i'm going to say it to you now because it's easy to remember my email address is info at peteyates.uk info at peteyates one word lowercase no spaces dot uk not dot co dot uk dot uk and please please get in touch and tell me that you're interested so in in within the next week i, I will uh, have a page a website page with all the details of this talk how to pay how to log in how to use Zoom if you haven't used it before, and so on. Everything you need will be there, and including a summary of what we're going to cover as well. Oh, and just uh, the reason we haven't put a live link to the to Pete's email is because whenever we do that, Pete's like drowns in spam, yeah. don't you? So yeah. uh, that's that's the reason that uh, we haven't just put like a, a, oh, yeah. a live link to your email address yeah, in yeah. the the right up yeah. underneath this podcast. Anyway, folks. I hope that sounds interesting to everybody. It took us quite a long time to come up with that, so I think it will be a true work of art. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope you're all well, and on with the podcast. <laughs>